For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Epic Realms. I am your host, Nick. I am here to tell you what you're going to be listening to here in this upcoming episode. This episode is an Old Side Project podcast episode where we interviewed both Mike Selinker and Keith Baker. Uh, Keith Baker does the intro. We thought it would be kind of funny to have him intro it as if he was one of the hosts and we were the guests. Uh, it was kind of silly. It was kind of fun, and I loved it. This episode, they came on to promote something they were working on, a little Kickstarter project they were coming out with, Mike Selinker has come up with so many things, such as Betrayal of House on the Hill, Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. Uh, all his accolades are listed in the episode. Of course, Keith Baker was on our last episode, and, uh, our last reboot episode, I should say. And so he asked us to come back and help promote this, and we were like, sure, we love you guys. This is awesome. So this episode is that. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you stick around. Uh, I hope you find us on all of the platforms we are on of social media. And I hope you will come back when you can and listen to more episodes. So here we go with Keith Baker and Mike Selinker and the Side Project podcast crew. Welcome to Side Project episode 22. I'm your host, Keith Baker, creator of Eberron and Gloom and the new role-playing game currently on Kickstarter, Phoenix Dawn Command. I'm here with my usual guests, Matt, Adam, and Nick. And uh, this time we have a very special guest, Mike Selinker. Mike. You do? Yeah. Could you tell us a little something? Who are you? What What is your geek cred, Mike Selinker? I didn't know there would be a quiz. Well, you're not going to do very well on it then, unless you're... Yeah, is this one of those... You you don't know who you are. (laughs) Oh, all right. Um, I'm Mike Selinker. I'm the president of Lone Shark Games. Uh, What that means is I'm the designer of the Pathfinder Adventure card game, and uh, some of my other games that I've worked on are Lords of Vegas, Betrayal at House on the Hill, um, Risk God Storm, uh, all sorts of things like that, unspeakable few words. Little, little side projects people might have heard of. Yeah, I was a creative director on third edition Dungeons and Dragons and rebooted Avalon Hill and Axis and Allies and you know stuff like that. I also wrote a novel called The Maze of Games, uh, which you is know. fantastic. And, and right. I, of course, am especially grateful to you for Betrayal, because that is just still one of my favorite games to play. <laughs> Sorry for a second. I'm like, thank you so much for stabbing for me in the back. <laughs> no, I get that <laughs> a lot, actually. I, I get people I, coming up to me and say, Betrayal changed my life. I, I was I like, well, hope, damn straight it would. <laughs> I do hope that, what about that, the game? that is the sudden and inevitable Betrayal on House of the Hill. Sudden but, and inevitable Betrayal on House of the Hill. Um, well, you know, I mean... Uh, 
Uh, I can only claim so much credit for that game, but uh, oh, I. But it is certainly certainly a uh, uh, one of the one of the the all time great projects that we've ever done, and uh, um, people like at the time we launched it, like nobody thought it would be anything at all, and now it seems to be kind of a mini classic, which is kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. So that's my geek cred. Did I pass the audition? You did. You can stay on the call. Well, that's my nice. Yay. We'll not drop you unless the computer chooses to, but which is distinctly possible given our issues today. So how much sure. credit can you give for uh, for the uh, Pathfinder card game? Is that all you? Is it all me? Did I write everything? Like, yeah. are, you, are you the man? I mean, uh, like, like, I am a man. is the man of He's that? always the man, but is he the I, man of the Pathfinder Adventure card game? I'm I'm a man. Haven't you heard? I come in six packs. <laughs> um, no, it's well. We have a massive team that works on that game. And one person knocked that nonsense out of the park. Um, so we have developer Chad Brown and Gabby Widling and Tannis O'Connor and Liz Spain and Paul Peterson and just a whole crew of people working on that. I mean, you, you know, that thing's big. That thing can kill a cat. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> that's why I put my cats upstairs. Yeah, we have one of the larger gaming stores probably in the country here, and uh, oh, sometimes oh, don't make that claim, please. We'll get hate mail. Don't do it. <laughs> I hope sure. we get hate mail. I, we, we're we're lacking sorely on hate mail. I'm we'll just we'll generate it. It's true. We it's have not the, the best. I'm gonna say the best, just so I can get hate mail. It's not it's, the size of your store. It's what you do with it. Well, but when, have, you, when you can do both, it's the size of the store, and it's a very talented store. It's full they, of talent. Yeah, they have I was, nights where they have had the card game, and that's, I mean, there were tables of just the card game playing. Yeah. Just on a random night, There wasn't it wasn't planned. They just filled up some tables, and they all played Pathfinder card game. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah it was, uh, card games? What are you working yeah. on now, Mike Sounder? about card games. What am I working on? Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, there's a little bit of temporal anomaly here, um, uh, but uh, I am working on uh, a Kickstarter we are, quote-unquote, about to launch. Um, we may have already launched it by the time you're listening to this. Um, because we are talking to you from a few days ago, so we don't yet know that this right. game is the biggest thing Kickstarter has ever seen, but we're that's hoping... Right. Exploding record kittens after too. record in record mama time. <laughs> yes. The exploding uh, kittens adventure card game, you know. Yeah, it's the, uh, yeah it, it funded before it was launched. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, uh, it's called the Apocrypha Adventure Card Game. It's a brand new adventure card game uh, published by us at Lone Shark Games and nobody else. And uh, it is a very Because different... fuck you, that's why. Right. That's that's right. That's right. All people, all other people. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, so it's a, it's a new game. It's a modern setting. It's got uh, uh, monsters in the shadows, and nobody believes you when you say you're there. They're there, and uh, and it's all about accessing repressed memories. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and character growth is is gaining new memories, which give you new powers and new negative consequences. So is there, is there a card that's literally show me on the doll where the daddy touched you? Um, well, let's, let's, I mean, I imagine that you could imagine it's there. <laughs> like, like whatever was in the box, you would probably find that card. Fair enough. <laughs> um, What's the gameplay like? 
Is it, is uh, it like we've played, or is it completely unique? Or it is uh, simultaneously. If you've played the Pathfinder Adventure card game, you'll feel right at home, okay. and not like anything else you've ever played. Um, it's uh, there's there's some neat new stuff in there. It's uh, there's some some things about uh, how you gain memories and um, what that what that means for you. Uh, their table position matters a lot in this game. Okay, who cool. you're sitting next to and in what order. Um, yeah, there's, uh, the, probably the biggest innovation is that it is a, uh, game master list card game and a role playing game in the same box. Stole. So uh, that's definitely one thing that kind of piques my interest, the idea of a card driven role playing game. Mm-hmm. Well, I approve of those. So do <laughs> you I. know anything about that? Well, I am also doing a card driven role playing game on Kickstarter, uh, Phoenix Dawn Command. Uh, it is, uh, conversely, a fantasy uh, setting, and it is a fantasy setting where monsters are in the midst of tearing the world apart, and uh, so there's no problem with, with people not believing you. It is more that uh, in Phoenix, basically, there's a little sort of hint of the Pacific Rim uh, element of these attacks are happening. They're taking many, many different forms, and we don't know why. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know if this is an organized attack or if these are just, you know, if we've got ghouls over here, uh, undead army down here, um, you know, chant outbreak up here. Do these things have anything to do with each other, or is our world just falling apart? And there it is very much you are a small band of sort of supernatural champions uh, who are our last hope in uh, matching up against this. The main problem is you are probably, the odds are very much stacked against you, but the one thing you have going for you is death is actually what makes you stronger in this game. You can uh, come back up to seven times, and each time you get tougher, but of course each time you're closer to the end of the road. Um, unlike Apocrypha, it is entirely a role-playing game. You know, It is not something that you can play without a game master uh, or on your own. Um, but it is something that is very uh, story-driven. You know, we like the way that the cards really put a lot of narrative control in the hands of the players. Um, and the way we handle death really lets you put the players into very different situations than you normally can do uh, with a traditional role-playing game. When you were originally talking about the, the game mm-hmm. you know, a while back, was it originally meant to be a card game, or were you, was it a non-card game to begin with? Because I, I think this well, is the first I've heard of it being uh, card game related. It, it's funny. I, I don't remember how long ago we talked about it, because when I very first sat down with my co-designer and we had the idea, mm-hmm. we were actually thinking just a traditional role-playing game. And But I would say it's at least been a year that it's been a card game. Uh Again, it's a it's a different sort of experience uh, than than the way you're using cards in Apocrypha. You know, in um, Phoenix, you know, you don't have dice. You know, basically your hand of cards determines what you can do, and what it means is that from turn to turn, things are random. You know, what cards do you draw? But in any particular turn, you know exactly what you're capable of. You know, how far you can go. Can you hit that thing? And if so, how hard? Can you? You know. Uh, what are the numbers you can hit? Uh, so it's much more about if you have what you need to do what you want, and if you don't, you have resources you can sacrifice. You have a pool of magical energy you can burn to increase your your scores, but when you run out of it, 
you die. And so it's very much this question of, is it worth it? You know, is this a time uh, that I should be sacrificing things to accomplish what I'm trying to do? I was just running a, a session this afternoon, actually, and, you know, there was this moment where one of the characters is this uh, the school we call bitter, and they are all about their, the stronger, the closer they are to death. And so they usually die a lot, among other things. But uh, she's about to get, one of the players gets attacked and is able to divert that because he's really charming. He diverts the attack and, hey, goes after this helpless bidder who is going to get crushed. And it is literally, oh, you are about to die here. And she has a card that lets her make a reckless attack. So when she's attacked, she can launch an attack at the opponent, but she completely foregoes defense. So she was going to die, and it was all just a question of how big an impact she could make before she went out. And as it turns out, that ended up being so big, because a lot of the other players were able to pitch in and help her, that she actually killed this enormous scary thing before it then would have wiped her out. And so, again, sometimes, you know, if everybody works together, you can uh, end up not dying after all. Yay! Yay, everyone likes not dying. Not dying can be a benefit sometimes. So is there a benefit Is there a benefit to not dying? I mean, obviously, you say well, you get more powerful when you die, but, I mean, there's got to be some sort of balance in there. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's, what's to keep right. all the players from routinely committing step Jumping in front of a truck like or something. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, basically, the thing about Phoenix is it does have this story baked in. You know, your world is at war, and you are frankly losing. And in any given scenario, you have a mission. And part of what we like about that is it really does mean, you know, the players are a team. You know, there's never any question of why are these four people hanging around and who let the chaotic neutral thief in here? And um, missions are usually highly time sensitive. You know, hey, there's a zombie outbreak in this building. If we can stop it in two hours, we're going to save this city. Otherwise, if it gets out of here, we're going to lose the whole thing. And when you die, it's a little like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, where basically you can't fight that Balrog. It is just going to kill you all. But Gandalf can hold the bridge and make that sacrifice to save you. But he doesn't come back right away. He's going to show up, you know, down the road. And yes, he'll be more powerful. But within a mission, if we only have three hours to stop this outbreak, uh, you know, if you die, you're not coming back. And so it's can we afford for you to die? Is this the time to, you know, to let that happen? And long term, we have various ways to say, well, Bob's never died. You know, what do we do? So he's not too underpowered, as it were. Um, but still, it is a game where just because you can come back doesn't mean that there is no tension and that uh, death feels inconsequential. Nice. Yeah, when I played Let's this game, when mm -hmm. I played Phoenix for the first time, uh, I also jumped on the bitter train. And uh, it was pretty cool to be able to just go, um, let me see how much negative energy I can pump into the environment um, for a positive benefit. Mm -hmm. It was pretty fun. Um, uh, Keith ran this game for me uh, while well, we were in the Caribbean at the time. And, it's the uh, Triangle. It's a great place to run a game about. Yeah, you should really. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. You should really do all your playtests uh, uh, with a uh, um, you know a cruise ship under you. 
it's always a good idea. In the Bermuda Triangle, no less. Hmm? Yeah, but um, you're not still there, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> if all of a sudden you guys stop talking, we know why. Well, it's just, sometimes it's hard to. Is it Skype that makes you know? So if people are listening and there's no. issues, well, is it Skype or is it the Bermuda Triangle? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Um, yeah. but it is a it is a particularly fun game. Uh, it it certainly uh, turns your expectations on your head quite a bit. Uh, in the same way that um, you know you 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 can imagine that the things that you think are the greatest consequence in a lot of other role playing games are not of high consequence to you, and the things that you think are of the lowest consequence uh, are are the lowest. The desirability actually might matter quite a bit, uh, so it's it's a pretty fun game. The, the thing I would, no, I, I was going to say the thing I would just add, just to to sort of you know seal up that point is again within the context of an adventure, you don't want to just die casually. You know, there's too many important things going on. But what's nice about it is because it does have that. On the other hand, I will come back more powerful. It really does leave people in this place where they're willing to make the big scenes and to, to be the person who stays behind and holds the bridge because it's not the end of the game for you. You know, it's uh, it's it's something that has its own reward. Um, I I had yeah. one, two questions, actually. One of them is directly two. kind of um, actually going back to, to Mike, you know, we've been talking yep. about how Phoenix Guard is this, you know, it's it's a card-based role-playing game, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume there's going to be, like, it's not, you don't just need a deck of 52 cards, you need an actual, you know, to buy the role-playing game, you have the deck that comes with the RPG and all that stuff, is that correct? The, the base game comes with enough cards for four players. It, they are unique cards. We're actually using Tarot-sized cards, and they're, uh, you know, very, very uh, lovely. Um... But yeah, it is something where, again, the base game has all the cards you need. Though not nearly as many as you get with Apocrypha, I'll point out. No. Um, no that's, Apocrypha so comes a, with all the cards. Yeah, there's a big difference here in that um, uh, Keith is Keith is selling a, a game that, uh, you know, because it requires a game master, there's, uh, there's a lot more... A lot more uh, uh, ability for people to to improvise and come up with their own mm-hmm. stories and stuff like that, uh, or sort of more of a requirement, I should say. Um, Absolutely. Whereas uh, in my game, uh, everything is laid out for you. You can take it whatever direction you want. Like you can say, uh, the game master can have as little or as much agency as they want. Um, you know, you're not limited to just because there's a uh, a card for for the you know uh, locations like Squirrel Lake and Big Edie's Big Fun Park. Those aren't the places you're limited to, in, you know, and such. But if you want to just use the things that are in the box, that option is available. So that means that we need a whole lot more cards. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like we're and we're, and you have them. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be this thing is going to be colossal. Um, but you know, I mean, it it definitely. Uh, provides a different experience than Phoenix does. I would say that uh, um, the the presumption is that um, the players are going to to uh, use cards in a way that is a little bit more mechanical mm-hmm. than in Phoenix. Uh, Where is in a sense, 
in the sense of, you know, this is what a werewolf is and you can, you can, uh, go on that and you can add stuff to it, but it's pretty much going to stay a werewolf. Whereas in Phoenix, the game master is, you know, could, could introduce just about anything. And, and it you is the case. Go on. I was going to say, when you guys are, I was going to ask, when you guys are developing these games, do you think you guys follow kind of the same route, or do you take like different paths when it comes to developing these games? Because obviously they're they're very similar, but they're also very different. And you I, know, getting from point A to point B, is it how how is that for uh, the two? We certainly didn't start out aiming for point B. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I really think they are you know quite different. I think it's all again we're both looking at ways how do you use cards to tell a story how do you use cards to represent a character but very much to me the actual sort of experience you know is quite different as uh mike was saying you know phoenix is much more heavy on the story and imagination and apocrypha is much more solid you know again someone asked me you know could i play phoenix solo and no there's <laughs> yeah that's, that's not a thing whereas can you play apocrypha solo Mike? yeah absolutely i mean See, i don't know a lot of people um when we developed the pathfinder adventure card game we um we were playing around with it and originally it was for two to six players and i pointed out to the design team well everything in this game works for a single player. Would that be any fun? <laughs> and everybody sort of looked around and went, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but there's no reason not to put a one on the box, right? And so, and it turned out that we were completely wrong, that it was a blast to play solo, and that probably 50% of the players who bought it uh, have never played it with anybody else ever. Wow. Right. Well, it makes awesome. sense to me that it is the sort of thing of normally you can't just have, you know, a fantasy adventure on your own unless you're playing yeah. a computer game or something, and it's kind of cool that here you can. Yeah. Whereas and Phoenix, you're going... Oh, I'm just going to say, so, so Phoenix, uh, you know, is very much the case where, you know, again, it is largely living in the imagination and the cards are the tools that let you know, you know, can you accomplish the action you think of? You know, how are you doing a thing? Um, but it is also a game that very much encourages storytelling on the part of the players. I like to say that it's sort of a, a bridge between Eberron and Gloom in that it is a fantasy role-playing game, you know, with characters, with all of that. But it's also this card-driven game, and you don't have to tell stories to play the game, just like in Gloom. But more so than in Gloom, there are mechanics that are basically, again, if I can explain how this card applies, I get to add it to you know, my spread, or it may be worth extra points. So it is something where, again, sort of active storytelling really is part of the game uh, baked in. So I think, the, I think a giant difference would be that um, if you read a flavorless transcript mm -hmm. of a game session of Phoenix, you would probably not enjoy it mm -hmm. because so much of the game is, you know, immersion and uh, imagination and, and all that. And, right, uh, if, you, if you just saw, and then Mike played a 10, which was able to hit the creature and inflict one wound. <laughs> yeah, that would not feel like Phoenix at all. Wow. Where, right. Whereas if you took a game like Apocrypha and you laid it out uh, without 
any description other than mm. what what transpired, it might actually be pretty thrilling. Mm. No, right? I, I agree with that, and I would say that the thing with Phoenix is that the game does a lot of things to try to make it easy to tell stories. You know, again, yeah. you have these hooks of these cards that are sort of descriptive things about your character, you have descriptions of things in the room, you know, things like that. You know, so one of the Phoenix things is, you know, so you're in a tavern and you get into a fight. Well, we're going to say, you know, we've got a bonfire. We've got a play class window. We've got a thing. You know, what are you doing? Don't just hit the guy. Shove them in the bonfire, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely that it encourages people to tell stories. But if you stripped all of that away and you did just play it, I'm just laying down the cards. And, you know, that's it would not be exciting. So, yeah. gentlemen, I have a quick uh, I have a quick. We've talked about you know what the game involves, the differences mm-hmm. between the two games, the feel of the two games. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, of pure logistics, mm-hmm. how many cards are in each game, and what what are you to be? What's like what's retail asking price? Just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start my question? No, sure. go ahead. So we are looking at around. You know, numbers can always can shift, change. especially depending yeah. on how Kickstarters go. Um, but we are looking at around 280 cards. They're Tarot-sized cards, and again, it is much more these are the tools you are using. Uh, and then we're also, of course, looking at a softcover book that's going to be, you know, 120-plus, somewhere between 100 and 200 pages. Uh, because, again, it is a role-playing setting, and so we have a whole, you know, description of the world, description of things that are going on, seven adventures... Um, so basically the way to think about it is if you have a box, it has about seven, not seven, excuse me, four tarot decks in it, uh, and then toss a copy of Fiasco in there and throw some counters in. And that's basically Phoenix. And, um, at the moment, you know, our asking price on the uh, Kickstarter is 50 um, it's questionable, you know, whether we could actually charge that at retail or if it would have to be higher because once you put in all the different margins and such, because it is a very expensive game to produce. Um, anyhow, Mike? Uh, yeah, mine's a little different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have all the cards, uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to, to go through all the stats, be like, okay, on page 39, okay, there's the list of cards. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think I think the difference is, so we're going to start out with a minimum of 500 cards. We're probably, if the campaign goes exactly like what we want, the, the way we're planning to do the campaign, and we're going to see how this happens, is uh, we're basically going to unlock chapters. Okay. And a chapter, a chapter uh, is a... Um, there, there's this thing in the game, there's these characters in the game called the Novum, which are a group of nine um, godlike entities, each of which has a sort of group of monster grouping of monsters that that fits under it. So there's you know there's an undead. I, I hate to use this word, but there's an undead faction, and there's a faction that includes all the the shape changers and werewolves, and there's a faction that includes all the golems and and clanks and and all that stuff, right? And so. Hey, thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, so each of those is a chapter, and we hope to unlock uh, a total of nine of them. Each of them will come with um, 
approximately 75 to 80 cards. The, uh, the, um, uh, so if you think in Pathfinder terms, it's kind of like an expansion, although they'll come in a single box all at once rather than a subscription model or a, a monthly retail model. And, um, the, so, I mean, at the end of this, we could be well over a thousand cards. Um, yeah. Uh, it's going to weigh a lot. The, um, the, the dice, there's, there's a set of, um, what is currently specced at 16 dice of a total of four colors might change. Uh, and then, uh, then there's character pawns and, uh, the the big difference the other big difference between uh, Apocrypha and um, and Phoenix is that uh, if my game has a rule book of more than sixty five sixty four pages I will be really upset. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, whereas that's yeah. the thing is I mean a lot of a lot of what Phoenix is 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 you know hey we're describing a, a setting you know people have asked me like oh could I could I play Phoenix and Eberron and I'm like you could but. It basically has this whole world that, you know, part of the point is that the world of Phoenix is in a state where we need Phoenixes, where, you know, we have situations so dire that, you know, the mission is more important than you living through it. And if you just drop the same, you know, drop Phoenixes into a random D&D dungeon, oh, hey, the thief died in the trap. Who cares? He'll be back. Um, but one of the things that, that came up there, too, is also so Apocrypha, of course, does use dice. Correct? Lots okay. of them. And so, I mean, that is, again, just a difference in style. You know, that's part of the point of, of Phoenix is that, you know, it, it doesn't use dice and it is very much, it's all driven by the cards in your hand. So it's, you know, just, again, another difference in, in style. Can you guys, but, when you guys are doing these games, so mm-hmm. you sit down, say we, we sit down and mm-hmm. a table of us for the first time play Phoenix or... Mm-hmm. You know, we sit down and we play Apocrypha table. Or oh, you play them at the same time. And that no, 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 no. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's not what I meant, but that would be kind of crazy. But no, uh-huh. let's say there's two tables, and one's playing one and one's playing the other. And they play the game, and they get done with the game, that, yep. you know, that first sit down. Now, is it where you could take it, and whatever you did, you can carry on and play that again, like pick up where you left off, kind of like in the Pathfinder card game, you can continue playing if you so choose with your gear and stuff like that. Can you, is, do either of your games do that? Yeah, let, Absolutely. Me, let me get this one. Let me get this one. Oh, first. You, you start. You start. Yeah. Um, so like in, like in Pathfinder, uh, you have a living deck of cards. Uh, it should last you for a year or more of gameplay. Um, your character grows, uh, based on how much, uh, gameplay you actually have the uh there's a major major difference in that um the the gameplay in pathfinder is essentially about checking off a series of check boxes right so you're going to add more cards when you get a power feat sorry when you get a card feat add another power when you get a power feat add another skill when you get a skill feat and that doesn't exist in apocrypha because um what happens is you unlock repressed memories the game gives you these cards that tell you something crazy that happened to you, or something like that anyway, and uh, uh, then gives you a power uh, and some dice and such that go with that, and also a very severe negative consequence when it goes wrong. So you're basically going from uh, a very stable character with a, a reasonably small uh, deck of cards 
uh, to a character with a larger deck of cards, but that acts more like a sine wave, where mm-hmm. when they're when they go high, they're doing quite well, and when they fail, they fail in more catastrophic ways that uh, okay. tend to affect everybody else. Um, so the the game is definitely about persistence in the same way an RPG is, um, but not in the way nearly any other card game is. So does Phoenix. it pick up? Yep. Do, you, do you pick up, like, after you're done with the game, though, do you continue playing where you kind of left off? Um, Pathfinder has a very linear path um, where mm-hmm. you finish a story and you go on directly to the next story in a line yeah. and if you fail that you you do it again. This is the exact opposite of that. You can okay. play everything everything in any order you want. Um, there is reason to save the interaction with the big bads for later okay. um, which is built into the game because if you decide to just go out after the biggest you know undead thing you can you'll probably be taken out by it. The In the course of the game you're actually going to be uh, gaining rewards that actually shuffle cards you can get into the deck, which will make okay. you more powerful as you pick them up. Um, but yeah, it um, uh, it's very much anti-linear and non-Euclidean. Yeah, um, that is like the idea, the concept of okay, you play one game, and yeah, you can start a new game, or you can pick up where you left off next time you're playing. Mm-hmm. Sort of. The other thing is that um, the decision to use a game master is not permanent, so. If you're uh, if you're playing, you can be playing, you know, just against the box, um, and then somebody just says, you know, I'd like to game master this session, and they take on the role of the game master, um, and all the stuff that is random suddenly becomes an agency question for them. Uh, but then the person can say, you know what, I'm done with that, and you go back to playing. The uh, against the game itself and the same campaign without any hiccups. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you, Mike. So you mm-hmm. were just talking about how you could have someone come in, take over the game master role, and then leave. Have you in in your playtest have you found out the game becomes more difficult when there's someone kind of controlling the cards, or does it still kind of flow as it normally would? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I I think it's just more that. Um, one of the things in this game is that uh, you won't run into things that don't make sense as much as you would mm-hmm. in Pathfinder. Because Pathfinder basically just says, dump all these cards in the box, you can run into any of them again. So <laughs> if I'm playing a, a, you know, the scenario that involves around the undead, I'm just going to run into a lot of undead um, and a lot of other things, but not a bunch of werewolves and not a bunch of elementals and not a bunch of golems and stuff like that. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and so... Um, I wouldn't say that difficulty is determined by a game master, although in theory they could ratchet it up quite a bit, but uh, just by the decisions that they make. But um, more that the flexibility shows up uh, to make it different. One of the things that happens in this game is that, um, I mean, we listen to our players, right? And one of the things they constantly crave that is very difficult to put into the Pathfinder game is if two characters are at the same location, they should be able to help each other a lot, right? And it's just not really not really how the game goes. Yeah. Where in this game, it actually does. Um, okay. So uh, there's a series of cards called, at the moment, templates, which basically say the more of you that are here, the weirder this encounter is about to get. <laughs> and so you can help each other, uh, but 
you know, suddenly this werewolf might be invisible and have and spit acid and have three <laughs> friends. <laughs> right. So invisible acid spitting werewolves are bad. I'm assuming that's not what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. And and when you're the game master, you can put all that together in advance. You can just say this thing is going to be an invisible acid spitting werewolf with three friends, and your friends will go really. That's, Mind you, that's what, when we say three friends, it's not they're there helping him fight. It's just he's got friends. It's oh, not, yeah, yeah. Happy, happy werewolves. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it is. I mean, the the um, the uh, there's really no uh, limit to what a game master can do. But I'm saying that in contrast to the sort of, you know, uh, semi-robotic gameplay of the the base set, you know, being played as a without a game master, but I think there's probably more limits than on a game master than what you can do, if any, in what we would just normally say is a, a product of your imagination style RPG in the same way that Keith is doing. Uh, taking the same question, Phoenix. Phoenix is certainly a game that you can just do with one shots. Um, and you can even just say, hey, let's put together rank four phoenixes, you know, just to try a higher level game. Uh, but it is certainly something that is designed for long-term play and that is at its best with long-term play. Um, the way phoenixes evolve its characters is it's basically when you die, you come back and you gain new cards and, uh, you know, new abilities. Um, and, and much like Apocrypha, we have, you know, if you mess with with evil forces in strange ways, you can end up with um, uh, with some strange cards dropping into your deck. Um, but basically, the nature of the cards that you gain, the kind of powers that uh, you take, are based on the reasons behind your death. You know, we're always saying when you've died, well, what kind of a death? was that? You know, did you die because you weren't tough enough? Did you die because you were sacrificing yourself? For your friends, did you die because it was your duty, uh, or did you just flat fail? And you know, each of those are what define the schools, which are sort of our answer to classes. Um, and so, it is really over time that you know your character is essentially sort of shaped by each of the sacrifices and choices that you've made. Um, now, unlike you know, where you were talking about playing the same uh, deck for a year. Uh, Mike, you know, in Phoenix, it is the case that, like we said, you get seven deaths, and uh, and that's that. And especially with a bitter, that can happen, you know, relatively quickly. Um, and part of the thing there is, well, then you're going to cycle back around, and you know, basically, your spirit ends up sort of going to the the flame, the source of power that powered your Phoenix, and then someone new uh, takes your place. So you sort of step in as as the newest edition. Um, but it is going to be your sort of jumping back in on your first death. So that brings yeah. up a question that I have for you then, Keith. Mm-hmm. With Phoenix, uh, so say, yeah. you know, we're playing, you're running, mm-hmm. uh, Adam and Mike and myself, we've done a lot of heroic deaths. Mm-hmm. Nick, just because of how lucky his dice rolls are, or his, all case, on his card life, draws are, or, yeah. or his, his card draws are, we're on we're on our fourth or fifth never coming died. back to life and Nick's on life one. And then Nick has not died yet. Is there a point where we're like, eh, let's just push him in front of the, the moving boss? 
Well, there's a bunch of things uh, that happen there. First off, let's murder. Yes, you just want to push me in yeah. front of our bus. <laughs> yeah. Let's murder Nick a few times so he can catch up. You know, and, he'll come back as a more again, powerful person. Yeah, and again, basically, it also depends in part on school. The Durant school is the hardest to kill, and they actually have a few abilities that basically, like, one of the abilities you can pick up is when your friends die, you get some of their powers. And so you actually grow stronger as they die. So that character is designed to be the, I'm sticking around. Uh, but, you know, addressing the broader point, uh, there are a few things. There are a couple cards that you can get that you only keep till your next death. And so that's a way to say, well, he might have something really cool that he's hanging on to. Uh, because you die when you run out of sparks and you burn sparks to do cool things, if he wanted to die, he could just do something amazing and pour all his sparks into it. So again, that's a choice he's sort of made to say, no, I'm never, I'm never dropping. You know, it's not the same as something like D and D, where oh, a monster has just never rolled a successful attack on him. Again, here, every time someone attacks you, it's are you going to play the cards you need to play to defend? So first off, he's had to work to stay alive. Um, second, though, even within that. We do have advice for the game masters in that sort of situation that is essentially you can always say to him, okay, Nick, between these two adventures, you did something amazing and died horribly. What was it? Now, let's talk about that. You know, you can choose to catch someone up if you want to. Um, the big thing is it's a very different experience than if you, say, had a first-level D&D character hanging around with 15th-level D&D characters. Because of the way sparks work, because you can always boost your actions if you're willing to pay the price – a lower-ranked character still can do things. It just means that, you know, they're being more reckless. Whereas, so in your first lives, you know, if I'm the low-level character and you're all high-level, it means I got no reason not to burn all my stuff, whereas you have to sort of be a little more careful because when you run out, you're done. You see what I'm saying? Yep, totally. So what are your stretch goals? Yeah, what are your stretch goals? Uh, You're going to hit your mark. I mean, you're on what day? Pretty soon. Well, one of our stretch goals is it's a slightly smaller version of um, what uh, Mike was talking about. Of It is uh, we have a number of writers and designers lined up who are basically creating new challenges for us. And challenges are, you know, supernatural threats, creatures you can face. It's a little more analogous in this situation to saying it's like a monster manual where – these are things that are, are creatures with abilities, and they are also going to come, you know, with some lore and with suggestions. As here's how you can build an adventure around this thing. Um, so in our case, you know, this is again a couple thousand words of text and one or two cards. It's a much smaller thing, uh, but we still have a bunch of of really people I'm really excited about uh, lined up to create. Uh, create something for the game. The the first one we've already mentioned is uh, Jason Morningstar from Fiasco and Night Witches, and uh, you know I've talked with him about about his idea, and I really like it. And so again, we have a couple of these sort of guest writers lined up. Uh, we also have a number of ways we can just improve the game. You know, our our focus is to focus on making the core product as yeah. good as we can. We're not adding something entirely out of the blue. I only mentioned that is because I was I was just kind of perusing the Kickstarter page you guys got up and I 23 days to go and you've you've you're gonna you're probably gonna hit it in the next day I'm guessing. 
Well, fingers crossed. So. It's, it's been a good week. I can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers. I hope I hope it uh, does well. Thank you. Or has done well. Or has done well. That's indeed. Right. right. By now, we may have already hit it. Who knows? Yeah. Woohoo! We're I, hitting it. Let's hope. Let us hope. I, I think that when Apocrypha launches, it just jump starts a whole just craze for for card based uh, games that is just going to sweep Phoenix up in in the tidal wave, and we're both going to be. So. I, you I know, hope so. 100%. I, seriously, because uh, one of my uh, authors who's writing the memories for this game is Keith Baker. Yes. And yes. So, oh, that dick. Yeah, that is, and so I it damn well better. Pretentious. I, I'm betting a lot on this Keith Baker guy. <laughs> Just put his name on the front, and you know maybe a bunch of people will come over, and you know, you'll landslide it. I think well, it'll see, be pretty. I think it's a really risky move, though, because I don't think that guy knows anything about card games. <laughs> no. No. So um, I'm going to be that guy real quick. So that we've because we've helped you with with this by getting you guys on the show and, and shilling for your your Kickstarters. You guys are going to send us a free copy of the game, right? <laughs> I guarantee I Keith will send you. <laughs> yeah, Keith will send you a free copy of Phoenix. There you go. <laughs> oh, and Mike will totally send you a free copy. I mean, I I, I imagine Sorry. it'll be the big thousand card. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm losing you, you guys. I'm having game. a little trouble. I see having a little going trouble through, <laughs> going through a tunnel in my basement. I, are you, still, are you guys still podcasting? <laughs> Are you podcasting? Just so you know, I'm going to back it like a real man and not ask for street-free stuff, all right? That's what I like to hear. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Like I'm I said, just kidding. Um, so what's the target for uh, – when, when will your Kickstarter be approximately – like, do, do you have a – Yeah, I'm gonna, so by the time uh, – by the time this, this airs – Will have either launched or be launching imminently. Okay. Um, so, um, I mean, the the original plan. This moment, like that, someone yeah. is listening to this. It's happening right now. Exactly. Keith knows that the original date that I picked for this um, <laughs> was April sixth, uh, which, and he sent me a note saying, "I'm launching, uh, I'm launching uh, a Phoenix, Phoenix on April sixth." <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> let's not do that to each other. <laughs> what, if, what if we didn't do that? <laughs> so originally, actually, I was planning to, uh, because of that, I was planning to get out of his way and launch earlier, but um, that didn't happen. So uh, so uh, aiming for a week later, I think, is the, the right call. Um, we, uh, we have a lot of moving parts on this Kickstarter. There, there are many videos. There are... Uh, uh, all these, you know, the, one of the main characters is named Dr. Z's and he is a unlicensed necrosurgeon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, cause you getting a badges? license. Yeah. Oh yeah. We have, we have like, badges. like badges that you can gain and, and all that. We treat Kickstarter campaigns like they're alternate reality games, uh-huh. um, nice. which means that, I mean, we get a very positive reaction to that, but it means yeah. that we do, vastly more work than necessary um which means that we're almost always late so uh but um whereas i'm just jen and me in my basement so we don't got no badges (laughs) well actually i know that we don't need no stinking badges i wasn't gonna go there 
I know that basement really well, actually. Hmm, that's true. You have I experience with it. I'm curious. So uh, this is a pretty good story. So um, uh, I was I sort of hit the crux moment of design on Apocrypha. I like finally figured it out after literally years of playing with it how the the repressed memories were going to work in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, God, I just need to clear out of here, get my head right, uh, go somewhere that I'm not currently, take my dog with me, have my wife drop me off and pick me up. Uh, so where could I do that? And we sort of uh, narrowed down locations. Uh, one was like out, out on the, the beach uh, of Washington State because I'm in Seattle. Uh, one was going up to Vancouver. And then, you know, we kind of settled on Portland. That, that would be really great. So I called Keith up. And I said, Keith, uh, I'm going to be coming down in February. Uh, do you, are you going to go on the Joko cruise? And he said, yep, I'm going to go on the Joko cruise. I'm like, damn it. I was really hoping that maybe we could <laughs> hang out and talk about this stuff. And he said, wait a minute. Do you want to take care of my cats? <laughs> <laughs> and so instead of, you know, bunkering down in like a, a flea bag motel for, for nine days, I uh, just moved into Keith's house like a seventeen-year-old exchange student. Yeah, it was, and I, you know, and I had access to all his comic books and his, and, you know, and all of his, you know, uh, Lovecraft novels and all that. Yeah, I was right? about to say you got the the pop-up Necronomicon too. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was like moving into moving into the alternate world version of my house, um, <laughs> and so. Uh, so yeah, basically I wrote out a, a major chunk of this while Keith was gallivanting around the Caribbean um, uh, in his basement. Nice. And that is, he was in my basement while I was gallivanting around the Caribbean, not I was gallivanting around in the Caribbean in my basement. No, wow. that's, that's what you call role I can't play. wrap my brain around that. What <laughs> really came to my mind was that the basement must be bigger on the inside. <laughs> The basement does have a zombie escape tunnel, so we are we are prepared for you know imminent does. apocalypse. Yeah, there, so there's if we some, decide there's some... to, to design a game, we're gonna wait till you leave town, and then we're just gonna come break into your house. Yeah, I, well, I, actually, the cool thing is now Keith, now that Keith has done that and it works so well, I just he just updates me on his vacation plans, <laughs> right? I'm just like, oh yeah, Keith, I'll just be down there this week. You gonna happen to be there? I just keep track of his Facebook and then, posts. And then when I say, yes, I am, he's like, oh. 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 Fine, whatever. <laughs> Never so, mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking to make some time for a writer's retreat for myself coming up here. Can I just show up at your house, Keith, and be like, hey, how's it going? I've got the booze. Well, I'd, I'd actually just be like, oh, no, sorry, you're looking for Mike Selinker. <laughs> <laughs> he's just yeah. up the road. You just yes, got to find the exit for the zombie tunnel. <laughs> We have yes, the, the, the home for wayward game designers here. And, and we do have also the, the cabinet of swords down in the basement, too. Oh, yeah. So you basically come out of your bedroom, grab a sword, head out the zombie escape tunnel. You're all ready for, for business. The great thing about the cabinet of swords is that in addition to, you know, actual Renaissance-style swords, there's also, like, a Nerf sword and a, um, a uh, uh, you know, an inflatable sword. So it's if basically there... half and half. Half the cabinet is is Nerf stuff, you know, and of various various types, and half the set cabinet is is real stuff. So you got your choice. You yeah, think you're having a Nerf real. fight and grab the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, like I most people. Say, Keith, 
I feel really glad that you have a cabinet of swords because I have mm-hmm. a closet full of swords. Um, I, I so I don't feel as bad now. Yeah, no, I once had, I once just had a duffel bag full yeah. of swords. I've, and... I've got the hockey duffel of swords right now, so... <laughs> my favorite oh. thing is actually the sword cabinet actually comes from Powell's, the yeah, enormous nice. bookstore in Portland. Uh, and we have these two glass-fronted cabinets and uh, a couple of bookshelves that we actually got off Craigslist when they were selling, they were, they were shifting one of their locations. So it's a little piece of Portland and filled with swords. Nice. So here's a question for you, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. At the time of this recording, it is Sunday, April 12th. Yesterday was Saturday, April 11th, which was declared International Tabletop Day. That's right. What did you guys do for International Tabletop Day? Um, Want to start it off, Link? Yeah, sure. So um, we have a tradition here on Tabletop Day. Now that it's three years old, it must be a tradition. It's got Um, it. Yeah. The Wii Machine uh, was 30 years old. They built... No, okay, never mind. No, I, I, we retrofitted Tabletop Day to 1984. So, um, <laughs> you know, we... Uh, we so, uh, the game designer crew up here is, like, uh, me and James Ernest and Paul Peterson, uh, who did Smash Up and works on the Pathfinder game with me, and Devin Lowe, who does Legendary, and, uh, you know, all my developers, Chad, Tannis, um you know, we, we all, uh, Liz Spain, all that, uh, who did Incredible Expeditions, we all pile into a, a couple of vans. Uh, we call them the Playmobiles. And we drive around the Seattle area, stopping at every game store and, and gaming establishment that has an event. So we went to, for example, we have this building in town called the Columbia Tower, which is 76 stories high. And on the top floor on the observation deck, we played, you know, various games. Awesome. Uh, yeah, nice. up there among the stars, right? And uh, so, yeah, we um, we do a whole tour, 15-hour day, um, you know, got to go, got to go, got to go thing. Fun. And uh, it's pretty fun. That's awesome. It's going to be board games, too, so. Yeah. Right, Keith, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, on my end, so I I started just by sort of doing a tour. There's a lot of really good game stores in Portland, and so I sort of just was dropping around to different game stores, uh, Rainy Day Games, Guardian Games, uh, just playing Phoenix with people and playing the the upcoming versions of Gloom. I have Munchkin Gloom and Fairytale Gloom, so I was playing those with people. Uh, and also dropped by uh, Red Castle Games, which is a great game store that just recently a drunk driver drove through the front of their store. Oh no! So they are having a, a you know raising money to to do repairs, and uh, we're just doing a big a big event where the Double Clicks are playing, and you know some local bands and such um, today. So. Cool. To some stuff there, and then in the evening, uh, we actually just uh, got together with a bunch of our, you know, neighbors and friends, uh, big gathering. And it was actually uh, funny for me in that one of my neighbor's uh, children is this 11-year-old boy, and I gave him uh, the rule book for Phoenix, you know, the early draft of the rule book. Just sort of, oh, hey, he loves games, you know, hand it to him, you know, just see what he does. And apparently he's been reading it all over, and when I went over there, 
he's just come up with all these ideas and questions and things like that. And part of the point of Phoenix is, as I said, we don't know why these things are happening. We don't, you know, there's a lot about the world that you uncover. You know, that's sort of what really the most important thing you can do is find things out. And so he's hitting me with all these like, well, what if this happened? Or what about this? Or could this be going on? And I'm like, yeah, actually, you've kind of hit on the main plot line there. You know, that's exactly (laughs) where we're going. But it was just the thing to me is just having this probably 30 minute, very in-depth, well thought out conversation with this kid. I'm like, this is me. You know, decades ago, you know, this is this this is exactly the kid I was. And so it's just kind of cool to see sort of even from a relatively high level description of things, how deep he had already gotten into the world. You know, did he have a black hat? uh, Not yet, but I didn't get the hat till, you know, I was I was much older. So he's got to work on it. Okay, Uh, Keith did something really important in that little segment he just did there is that he named the places he went and i want to do that too please do yeah. so mm-hmm. so um too late you we, failed <laughs> no sorry taking your time uh so uh we went to uh we have a place here called mock sporting house um mm-hmm. which is one of the finest game stores in the land um, we also have another yeah we have another chain here called uncle's games which is ditto and uh so um we, we went to their events. We had a massive gathering of game designers at uh, the Uncle's store. So we uh, had Rodney Rodney Thompson from Wizards of the Coast and um, Mike Elliott and and all the all the guys uh, Jordan Weissman, all those folks. Um, and uh, but and so we, we went to a club called Vernon Wells, which is a private uh, gaming club. But most importantly, as I mentioned, we were on the Columbia Tower, and it was a benefit for uh, the Meow Rescue, uh, nice. Kitten Rescue Charity, right? Tell so me there they were, were kit- not exploding kittens. There were, there was actually a copy of Exploding Kittens there, which nice. is kind of fun <laughs> to play with the actual kittens around. Um, wow. but yeah, so, um, so yeah, so, uh, we, we, we raised some money and, uh, you know, saved some cats and, and all that. So it was cool. Well, since you guys shilled, I feel like I need to now. Uh, Dude, <laughs> well, you said you had this amazing game store. It's the best game store ever. It is. We. I was asked by actually my, my Nick's wife, who works for this amazing game store, uh, to participate in Tabletop Day by running. Uh, there, there was going to be a bunch of local local uh, role playing, uh, not role playing board game companies running demos and doing all this stuff at um, our our store, the Source, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a decided lack of actual role-playing games, so I was asked by mm-hmm. Nick's wife Holly to participate uh, in in that way to run a couple of role-playing games and just to kind of see what the feel was or whatever. And so I prepared two games. I prepared um, I prepared a, an Eberron game. Excellent. Uh, I approve of that. It was just kind of it was kind of a last ride on the last ride on the Orient Express kind of deal. Um, so it was a murder mystery and it was all this stuff and nobody showed. Mm. Oh. I, no players. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? This is ridiculous. No, uh, no. The thing is, is they were like super crazy busy where they were like pointing people in tons of different directions. It's just that they kind of set it up as like a um, kind of like a convention where yeah. you know come up and sign up for a table and go sit at a table because they just had so many people that they needed a little 
of little guides, and yeah, I was like, really, nobody showed up for the role playing thing. And I'm guessing most people thought it was board games, but right. Sorry, I didn't so what? Step no, in. no, 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 it was fine. Um, and it, you know, I didn't hold it against the source or anything like that. I wasn't actually even mad. I'm just like, this is a little ridiculous because this, you know, it's it's Eberron, it's fun, it's role playing. Come <laughs> on, guys. And so I, the the second game I had was uh, was a World of Darkness themed um, uh, 1920s noir game. And so I'm like, I had two friends show up, and I'm like, okay, screw it. We're just going to start playing, and if people show up, I'll give them a character sheet, and great, we're good. And that's exactly what happened. We started playing, and this young 17-year-old kid comes up, and he's like, hey, what are you guys playing? We're like, World of Darkness. He's like, I've only ever played Pathfinder. I'm like, then sit down, Sonny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we had this other guy show up, and it was great. It, you know, it's really hit or miss when you're, when you're in a public venue like that, and you have people just kind of wandering in whether or not you're going to get good role players, particularly for a World of Darkness themed game, which is very story driven, it's very character driven. And like when the kid sat down, he's like, "You only play Pathfinder." I'm like, "Okay, well, he's going to be expecting a lot of die rolling, a lot of you know, I kill, hit the monster, I kill the monster, all that stuff." You know, which is fine. There's a time and a place for that. There's a special place in my heart for Pathfinder, and there always will be, but that's not what World of Darkness is about. Mm-hmm. But it turned into this amazingly complex murder mystery thing, and it just was it was awesome. But the point I'm trying to make is that I played my very first game of Gloom mm-hmm. oh. shortly Fair thereafter. Enough. All right. And I had a lot of fun. Um, it was it was actually kind of an. I, I was hoping you weren't going to say, and it sucked. And it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had you on this podcast just to tell you just how much it sucked. <laughs> now here's the thing, Keith. When you were with with us last. I wasn't able to to make it for the show, and it kind of mm-hmm. bummed me out because I own all the Gloom games and we play them mm-hmm. quite a bit. And I kind of wanted to you know be able to be the guy on the show that actually you know knows the game very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when I was announced, I was like, well. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm just saying you don't know you don't have all the games because hey, I've mm-hmm. got Munchkin and Fairy Tale and nobody else. Okay, got I have all the games oh, that and, you can well, get out dude, of store. And not just that one. Well, then there is copyright infringement gloom, which of course no one will ever have. So that's right. that's just the gloaty the gloaty. <laughs> but I have the tabletop special edition gloom. Uh, well, there you thing? go. That does count. That does count. I, right. I am still waiting whenever I have time because let's face it. Oh, I have all the time right now. Uh, I, I still want to make the second edition of Copyright Infringement Gloom, which is going to be a Gloom of Thrones. <laughs> because, let's just face it, it's a bunch of families and just terrible shit yeah, keeps happening to them, and eventually they die. Yeah. One of the guys that works at our comic, at our local store, um, the source, he also works um, at the in the warehouse area for mm-hmm. um, for Atlas. So, And he does a lot of Twitter stuff and stuff like that. So... He he was the one he got all the games for me for Christmas slash birthday and I was like sweet happy happy birthday except not really happy you know if killing your family members makes you happy happy birthday <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed myself like I said it was an abbreviated game because I had to get going but. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm here, he's running, I'm gonna effing play, because I've talked mm-hmm. to Keith Baker at length about <laughs> Gloom and other things, I need to play this game. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Everybody should play Gloom. It's on my 100 games you absolutely, positively must know how to play. That is what, that's what I heard. How long, so so describe that... That was it a panel or yes. um, tell us so about the hundred games you absolutely have to play. Yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. I was at PAX East last month and um, 
the guys. So normally, uh, so we, we, uh, our office is in the Penny Arcade building and we're very much linked at the hip to Penny Arcade. And so, um, so I always do a thing at every PAX and, uh, Frequently, it's with Mike Krahulik. Uh, we do a little thing called the Mike and Mike Show, um, or or whatever. Uh, but this time, they were like, "We don't want to do that this time. Um, uh, we gotta we gotta focus on playtesting Thornwatch." And I'm like, "Cool, no worries. I guess I'll do something on my own." And uh, so I came up with the dumbest idea, which is uh, I would make a list of the games you absolutely must know how to play if you want to be game literate. Um, this was a uh, something I could not do alone, so I asked. Uh, I made a post on Facebook about it, and I got 250 people to reply. <laughs> with I, I will just say, yeah, yeah. I, I will just say that it was. I just saw it on the feed and was like, oh, cool. Oh, this is a great thing. And then went to to know uh, to answer. And when I looked at it, I'm like. There's 1,100 comments on this thread. Yeah, yeah. it was a total of 1,400 games that were suggested. Um, and I don't think, you know, and everybody, of course, passionately defended all their positions, right? So, so and this, because, by the way, isn't Because like, Facebook. Do you think 10 years ago we would have had that many games to yeah, list? Yeah, seriously. So, uh, and just to be clear, it isn't just tabletop games. It's all games of all time, uh, right? All video games, everything. I did eliminate all public domain games of you know that are like you know a hundred years old or more, right? So, like so poker, so no, cribbage, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah, no chess, no no um, uh, shotgun. I mean, you should know how to play shotgun, right? Mm-hmm. But it, I'm not taking a space on the list for that, right? You should know how to play hide-and-seek. I'm not taking a place <laughs> on the list for that. Uh, uh, I also eliminated games that um, you didn't actually need to know how to play to play. play. Yeah. Nice. So, for example, Trivial Pursuit is not on the list because it's actually a better game if you throw away the board and just read the cards to each other. True. Yeah. Right. Concept didn't make the list for that reason. Uh, things like that. Right. Um, so and I also eliminated games simply based that would make the list simply based on their historical importance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have Pong. I didn't have, um, you know, right. Uh, right. you know, I wouldn't I was like, you don't really need to know how to play Doom anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great game. Nothing wrong with Doom. There's absolutely no reason to know how to play it when you've got Halo and and uh, and all those games on the marketplace. It, right? it, it, it did its job. It set its yep. precedent. Now yep. it's irrelevant. And that decision probably eliminated um, maybe 300 of the choices, leaving me with only 1,100 to choose from. Oh, for sure. That, that's just for 1,100. Yeah. And, and, and how long was the actual event? Oh, it was. I did it all in an hour, Keith. Wow. Just, I did the whole list, start to finish. I got up on stage. I said, "Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Selinker. Let me tell you something." And uh, and just barely skated in under the wire. Um, you know, I said I had like 30 seconds per game. Nice. And this and, was all in like a single breath, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's all up on YouTube. There's a there's a thing. You can just go for go to my uh, uh, YouTube channel, Selinker, and uh, you can watch it. You know, it's got five thousand people who've already commented on it. Whatever. Well, Mike, and can I ask you this: Do you have a digital copy of the list? 
Oh gosh, yes, yeah. Um, Email it to us, and we'll we'll compare if we're actually game literate. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, people have been using it as a measuring stick. They absolutely. Yeah, have. I was just um, thinking. It's it's the gamer purity test. It is absolutely <laughs> that. Um, it's absolutely that. Now, of course, it's just my opinion, right? Well, of but, course, but you know, you but, you do have I, the geek crud. You have the geek stones that people are wanting to use as the measuring stick of their geekiness. That's I don't right, want to use Mike Stone. <laughs> this is my measuring hey, stick. Well, and off it's my on stones. the internet, which means it's true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it was it was interesting, right? I mean, it was like. You know, like, it was so painful. It wasn't that difficult to eliminate about, you know, uh, 800 of the things that people suggested, right? Because, you know, whatever, right? If you're, you're gonna defend, um. Jar's Revenge. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, there's, there's things that are, they're all nice and whatever, but I'm not putting, not putting, uh, your favorite game on here. But, but, I mean, like, the, once I got down to about 150, it was incredibly difficult. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, it was to, like. Did you end up merging some together? You know, like, would you say? Not, would you have only, to separate all the D and Ds, or would you just say D and D? I would okay. say Dungeons and Dragons, and that would the Dungeons and Dragons was the only traditional role playing game. That's not fair. The only sort of uh, hunt the monster, steal their stuff role playing game on the list. But but things that didn't make it were things like Call of Cthulhu and. Uh, and champions and things like that. They just couldn't hold up. The only RPGs on the list were, um, were, uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Fiasco, Vampire, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mouse Guard, and How to Host a Murder. Mm-hmm. Those are the only ones that made it. And it was amazingly difficult to just cross out touchstones of, of, you know, all the things I play all the time, they were all just gone, literally. But compar- yeah, but in comparison, mm-hmm. it's like, you need to know this one more than you need to know that one. That's right. You've so got to know how to play. You already know how to do that one if you do this one. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, the things that got left off the list, there's a slide at the end is just heartbreaking, right? <laughs> things like things like uh, Hanabi and Buttonman and, and you know, uh, uh, NetHack and... Um, uh, System Shock 2 and Bioshock and Borderlands 2 and all these games that you just like how can these not be on here and there just isn't any room yeah well and on top of that it's like they're you know you don't need to play that in order to you know understand there are other games like them well, I don't think there's any game like Hanabi. I don't think there's any game like System Shock 2. I, I, uh, I, uh, another one that got left off, uh, the, there is no real gigantic tabletop war game, sorry, miniatures war game on the list anymore. Um, the only one that made it was Hero Clicks. So, like, I felt incredibly bad about leaving War Machine off the list. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But I just, there's nowhere, right? And so, um, I, I definitely realized very quickly that if I had just said, just put myself in the challenge, the hundred tabletop games you absolutely positively must know how to play, it would have been much easier to make the list and, you know, would have had yeah. less controversy. And it turns out I didn't want either of those things. I wanted yeah. the controversy. Um, I wanted people to complain that Flux was taking up a spot. When Flux is one of the greatest games of all time, right? I wanted people mm-hmm. to say, how could you have put you have to burn the rope on there when it takes 30 <laughs> seconds to play the game? You know, things like how that. How many of your like, games made the list? 
Oh, that's a very important question. Um, I uh, I certainly uh, have touched quite a few of the games that made the list. Um, uh, so I mean, I Axis and Allies is on the list. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is on the list. I have a significant impact on both those games. Um, uh, I didn't put Risk Godstorm on the list, but Risk Legacy is on there, and it was certainly influenced by the stuff we did with Risk Twenty Two Ten and and Godstorm and all that. Um, the only ones I think with my name on the outside of the box, um, and in fact, that's not even true in this case. There's only one with my name on the outside of the box. That's um, that's uh, the Pathfinder game. Pathfinder, yeah. Yeah. Um, and only because of where we are in time right now. I mean, it's the only thing that's doing that thing, but something yeah, else will come unique. along. Yeah. I, I, it might, but I don't think it'll be able to even make it. I don't think it'll be able to compare, though. So, so here's my question because it warms my heart so much to see it on the list. Is the Fool's Errand something that there is still a version out there that that yep. you can play? Because actually, before the list came out, you know, some months ago, I was just like, you know what, I'd really like to play again the Fool's Errand. I think it was probably when I was reading Maze of Games. So, so how is that accessible? It's uh, Cliff Johnson still maintains a website that he built in 1993. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just go there and download it. Um, and it'll play on any Macintosh, because uh, that's the best thing about it, was it was available for Macs. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it was, you know, I mean, <clears throat> the impact of that game was phenomenal, but the really great thing is that it absolutely still holds up. Cool. Uh, no, I, I definitely, as I said, was was not long ago. I'm like, oh, I really want to play that again. It's been forever. I have so. totally played that. I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now. I'm like, I have totally yeah. played this game. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. No, you'll have that experience throughout the list, right? I mean, like some of them, like Love Letter and and Gloom and 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 such, are are very much top of mind right now. But others are like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, things like. Um, and then some of them were just like uh, shots across the bow, where you just sort of went, "Damn it, I really should play that game." Like Depression Quest is on the list, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, like you should you should really know this stuff because it matters, right? And things mm-hmm. that people hadn't hadn't come into contact with before, like a thousand blank white cards, uh, mm-hmm. is is a crucial game and. Uh, uh, one of the toughest choices was between Apples to Apples and Cards Against Humanity. Mm. Um, and I, I came down on the side of Cards Against Humanity, but oh my god. Like, yeah, that's, that's that was a tough, tough choice. Mm-hmm. That was a really tough yeah, yeah. choice. I mean, but anyway, you take it, check it out, uh, see if you like it. Um, definitely uh, tell me if you disagree, and I will say, well, go write your own damn list. <laughs> <laughs> then you can go right to hell. Yeah. Well, I but think some geeks, too. There are people who are actually like, I only scored 33 on Mike's list, and now I'm going to document my playing of all of them so I can catch up. <laughs> right? well, the way I'm looking at it, since there's 100 on there, it's really easy to come up with a percentage of how, how geeky you actually are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't believe in purity tests, obviously. I you know, <laughs> I don't actually think that if you haven't played these games, you're somehow a lesser person or anything, but... But um, I know, but, but it's fun. To, it's fun to do that. I yeah. I think they're a lesser person if they don't hit all 100. I guarantee. <laughs> I guarantee you haven't hit all 100. I guarantee. I guarantee it. All right. So, so yeah, uh, yeah. I send you guys a list and you can put it up. Awesome. Well, and I, I was thinking I'd have uh, both Matt 
and Nick and myself, well, all three of us go through ah, excellent. And, and list our percentages on the next episode. Excellent. So Perfect. we should probably wrap it up. We're ringing in right about an hour right now. Sounds good. Thanks for Thank having us guys. on. No, well, well thank thanks, thank thanks you. for hosting and thanks for coming and thanks for making it as entertaining as hell. Oh, it's a blast. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, asking me to be on with you, Keith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you're a great host. I, I know, I know. I, I'm, normally do it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to have all you guys back on, on the next episode, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Really I think there might be a few changes there. Yeah, you hear that, Mike? You're out, man. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I, I don't think he was talking to me. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, uh, the Mike and Keith show is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much, guys. No, thank you very much. You. you guys have a good one and take care. And uh, for all of us at the Side Project Podcast, I'm going to say I'm Nick and I'm signing off. All right. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. And we want your hay mail. Bye. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.